You do you uh uh have you did you watch the Oscars? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. I yeah. don't, you know, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there today. I I know that we're you 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 uh you you've brought something to the table today to uh that we need to that goes into the Oscars uh, uh discourse and we'll have I think we can chat a little bit about that. Uh, sure. you know. Uh by the way, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes, Dr. Joseph Watson. We're lonely PhDs. We uh, we break this thing down. We talk about films. Uh, today on the show, we are talking about two films. Uh, Dr. Watson has brought us The Fablemans, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg. Is that 2022 or 2023? What do they consider that? 2022. Yeah, it's 2022. Uh, and we'll segue into some Oscar talk about that. Uh, I watched Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. Uh, 2022 by Alejandro Inaritu. How do you say it? Is it Inar? I always get it wrong. Inaritu is Inaritu. Yeah. You know, to, I, I thought it was an interesting balance uh, based on everything I've been I've been hearing about the Fablemans and reading. My wife saw the Fablemans. I I did not. Uh, I'm excited to kind of get into it with you and hear about it uh, to to see. Uh, to, to see what Spielberg has uh, pitched up here, because all I all I all I read about is that it's this uh, you know uh, partially biographical you know take on his own life, uh, which seems to fit you know now that he's in his what seventies now, so that you know he should probably you know go back and and, and look. So I thought we 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 kick off with that. I, were you were you disappointed it got shut out? No, no, not at all. No. And and not surprised at all. Um I I think everything everywhere all at once. Um I've seen that. I know I think you did you see that yet? I've seen it three times. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you you enjoyed that movie, right? I do enjoy that movie. You know, I it's it's got its problems, but I think the overall message of the movie is what really gives it its weight. Uh and to me the overall message of the movie is, you know, uh, acceptance, patience, and um, understanding, um, you know, especially when dealing with uh, familial uh, and marriage concerns, uh, which mm-hmm. is very much at play and everything everywhere all at once. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, in, in credit to the, to the, to the Daniels, I really liked Swiss army, man. I, I, I laughed. I, that was a, that's a, that's a weird dark movie. My friend, that's a good uh, film though. Um, that is a good film. And the twist at the end is amazing. Um, you know, <laughs> we should do, we should, we should do something this season on the Daniels uh, and look at, uh, at some of their stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, because they're definitely uh, you know up and coming um but no i agree with you and i i I didn't have i told the students before we broke for spring break i said they asked me and i said oh i think everything everywhere all at once is gonna sweep it all i mean i think it's clearly the the one that's the standout of all of the other you know sort of token nominees that year um but i did kind of kind of personally for me it, it was not the best picture of the year i i was very emotionally moved by the fablemans and so it spoke to me in a different way albeit having similar i think kinds of connections in a way to everything everywhere all at once and so it was kind of interesting to see those two films kind of bookended because you kind of had old school and new school right uh with in terms you know the the young kids and and the old grandpa stevie you know still still making movies as well so it was interesting what what, what outside the oscars though I, you know i always feel compelled to ask people this because this is always what matters most to me and my and why i don't watch the oscars in general is just because i you know trying to tell me that these 10 films are the best representations oh. of film. you know um what was the best film you saw last year seriously? uh i it, it, in all seriousness um the fablemans was the one that really kind of emotionally moved me in ways that i did not anticipate or expect and a movie um hadn't done that um probably in in, in quite some time so I mean, I think that would be like the first standout. There, there are some others. Um, you know, I, I I saw a triangle of sadness. I thought it was really really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I and that was kind of a, a a standout. I thought Afterburn was really good. Um, 
Uh, I um, I also saw EO, which was nominated for Best International Film, but it didn't win. Uh, but mm-hmm. I thought that one was really good. Um, that was off of another one of John Waters' uh, recommendations. Um, the donkey dis- film. Yeah, yeah, it did not disappoint. <laughs> yeah, uh, it did not disappoint. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think you always have to look. I mean, even though they've expanded it now, right, and there's 10 nominees for Best Picture instead of five, and, um, you know, there's uh, they, where they're trying to sort of spread the the wealth, quote unquote, which, in other words, I think is just, you know, you know, you have to separate the the Oscars as the Academy itself and its sort of mm-hmm. tradition and what it stands for versus like the television award show. Right. Which is a, right. a wholly different thing. Right. And right. um so I, I know people don't always enjoy watching awards shows. I don't know, Jeff. I, I think I, I think I have not missed an Oscar telecast. Hmm. Wait for it. Since 1985. Wow. Every year yeah. I've watched it. Yeah. You and you and Nicholson right up front. I, yeah. Hey, he's no longer there. He's not. He's not. But it's, it's funny, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you look at some of those Oscar clips that they're showing and it's kind of creepy because I go, oh, yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember watching that one, you know, and then this was really funny because this year we were watching it. Of course, they did this tribute uh, to uh, Sasheen Littlefeather, right, who accepted mm-hmm. the Oscar for Marlon Brando in, in 72. And uh, <laughs> so Zoe turns to me and says, do you remember that one, Dad? And I was like, no, I don't. That's one I don't remember. Yeah, I sure do remember those clip shows. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> that was like a warm cup of coffee. Yeah, that one woke me right up. I was like, what? No, 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 no. I don't remember that one. No, it was too old. But yeah, I, I, I don't know why. I think it's I think it was, you know, at least for for our generation, Jeff, the Oscars were kind of like a big deal for a while. Right. And then, um, you know, I think in the I guess early 2010s, uh, we started to kind of see some changes and some shakeups in uh, the the voting part of the academy and the membership board and um, some pushes for diversity and uh, inclusion, which, you know, are, it's great. Um, you know, I, I had no issues with, um, with pushing for those directions. Uh, but uh, it's different. Well, yeah, and plus, you know, there's just so much content. Yeah, it's just, there's, there's a lot of films to get through. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't blame Academy members who probably chunk half their screeners. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I don't, uh, I don't either. There is, um, there is just a tremendous amount. I still haven't seen all the documentary nominees. Um, you know, uh, of course the short film category always gets skirted. Um, but um uh, but yeah, I mean, I, fortunately, we're living in a state where, you know, Sidewalk will bring stuff here and when we can get, you know, yes. access to it more so than than other areas. So, you know, if you can't get to it streaming wise, at least you can maybe catch it at Sidewalk. So it's um, yeah, it's I mean, it's it's hard, though, to keep up with all of it because you're constantly I mean, there's just so much content uh, out there, um, streaming services as well as theatrical releases. Um you know, we we were trying to we wanted to see Cocaine Bear, uh, <laughs> and we still do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I noticed that um, it's now available. You know, for uh, oh, it's on for, Amazon already. For yeah. View, yeah, for viewing at home. Yeah. So, um, so we'll probably um, we'll probably Plunk catch it twenty. Bit. Yeah, but Plunk you know, you know, yeah, and it's re- really would be what you would pay, right, if you went to the movies. Um, but um. There was a tremendous amount of rhetoric from the Oscars that I thought was even more pressing this year. And it was just this, um, wasn't it great to be back in the theaters, right? You know, like you got to go see the movies the way they were intended with theaters, you know? And it was just so funny to me. So I was like, man, they must be really, really worried about the future of theatrical distribution, because I know it's sort of like, everybody's like, Oh, Top Gun and Avatar and every, every, the movies are back, you know? And no, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't know I, if that'd go that far yet, but I, I don't think AMC is helping with the, uh, the, now the seating, uh, like it's a baseball game. 
You know, you want to set up front, it's going to cost this. When I, this is the worst idea in the history of bad ideas. If you're ever going to run people back to their televisions. This is how you do is, it. This is how you do it. I, yep. If they don't, if I don't see this walked back in the next six months, I'm going to be really surprised. I, I'll be very, very surprised. Yeah. I mean, they're just, you know, they're shuttering uh, theaters as well, Jeff. I mean, uh, AMC's closed, AMC and Regal as well closed a bunch of cinemas uh, last month quietly, um, mm -hmm. you know. And so I just, you know, I, I, I really do believe, I've been saying this for a while, that like it's not going away, like it's never no. going away, but it's just going to continue to be like this highly niche kind of experience where you're, you know, well, we saw that in the theaters, you know, like it's like it's just some sort of like niche experience and um yeah i just i was taken by that though because it seemed like there was more rhetoric this year than ever before uh you know about that at the oscars and and um you know i don't know if you saw the story but uh with steven spielberg was uh was at one of the oscar parties uh pre-ceremony and and um had had talked to tom cruise mm -hmm. and said thank you for saving cinema they said that to Tom Cruise. And I just, I just, you know, I, I have to giggle a little bit, right? Because, uh, you know, I, I, nobody expected Top Gun to do what it did, right? I mean, it's a great film, but it, it, I don't, I don't know if I'd go so far to say it saved cinema. Like that seems a bit, no, no, a bit dramatic. And James Cameron might kind of cough in the corner if he heard you say that, you know, so. <laughs> He's um, like, wait, I beat it. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's like, I beat that in like two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but interestingly enough, both of those individuals were absent from the Oscars, both Tom Cruise and that. James Cameron. Yes. I, I heard that Cameron was a little miffed, right? That he didn't get an Oscar nomination for director for Avatar. So that's why he Come was on. upset. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I, I read. And, um, you know, uh, Tom Cruise had uh, production conflicts. Um, yeah. I, I don't buy it. Yeah. 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 Stinks. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of my Oscar report. I, you know, I, I would encourage folks to still at least read up on, you know, if you don't want to watch the show, I, I get it. But I think the Academy's place is still very important, you know, from scholarships, grants, the film Academy stuff they do. Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah, I, they're I, an important institution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just like the AFI, you know, I mean, it, it's these right. are these are important. They're they're still funding filmmakers to get films made. And that's that's the most important thing at the end of the day. Um, and, and that's why I skip the awards, honestly. And then I just rather read the think pieces later and the and, and mostly scholarship on it and also entertainment. You know, I mean, it's it, it's just. <sighs> Odds are I've seen most of the best pictures usually every mm -hmm. year. Um, just because again, we're it's not necessarily from popularity, but it's definitely from something in the zeitgeist, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not going to be something like, you know, that's like it's not gonna be like my favorite film from last year, which was Memoria with Tilda Swinton. It's just like it's not mm. gonna be that. You know what I mean? It, it, right. It's it's, it's <laughs> Yeah, so that that's usually it's gonna be Coda, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so so with the Fablemans, uh, did it? My understanding is that you know it it kind of got swallowed up, didn't it? Uh, in the release schedule, like I I kept thinking about it, and I was gonna go, and then I just I don't know. I just, it just kept falling through the holes for me all through the sure. holiday season. I mean, how, what, did you go to the movies to see it or did you no. watch it at home? No. I, yeah. I watched it at home for the first time. Um, uh, issues of time scheduling um, as well, but I did, I agree with you. I, th I think it kind of came out and kind of puttered and then it kind of survived for a few weeks. And then once, you know, the nominations came out, I think it kind of, cause it came out Thanksgiving and um, I, life was kind of crazy at that point. Um, so, but then the weeks leading past that, it kind of kept sputtering and puttering in in theaters. And then when the nominations came out, I think it it kind of was allowed to stay for a little bit longer. But it wasn't, it was not a box office smash, right? And I don't think it was ever probably marketed or intended to 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 be that. Um, well, I mean, I mean, those days are behind for Spielberg. You know, he's he's you know, it's been a long time, man, since he's been the king of the box office. Um, you know, I, I the last movie I can really think of maybe Lincoln, uh, that 
that performed very, very well. Uh, I don't even think, you know, even, even something as, as duddish as Ready Player One, uh, I think it did okay. It did okay, it did, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so I, it's, it's, you know, we grew up and he was the king of, of the summer movie. He was the king of the box office. I mean, it's, that's why I kind of look at it as, as too, I was curious about this film because I, I was wondering if it was an Academy mea culpa almost about ignoring West Side Story. Um, <laughs> Which also got buried by the I, way. Well, I don't know. I mean, West Side Story won Best Actress. I mean, I, I you know, it got I think quite a few nominations. So I mean, I th- I think they've at least sort of patted him on the back, you know, uh, through throughout these um, throughout these processes. But I, I I agree with you that I think that he's lost that sense. At least our generation still thinks of him that way. But you know, younger generations they don't they don't approach him the same way. They don't have the same sort of um, Mm, reverence for lack of a better word um you know like we we have certain expectations when we see a spielberg film um and uh i think younger generations just don't look at his work that way and rightfully so i mean they're you know they're being uh spoken to by their own um you know uh marvel directors now now look at this if spielberg or scorsese or Coppola or any of that curmudgeon crew decided to all of a sudden direct a Marvel movie, it would just explode. I think it would just be the end of the world as we know it. Probably. I, 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 I don't know. cannot believe, I cannot believe at this point, And I know they would probably deny this. I know that Marvel's had to go to Spielberg at some point with something. Actually, I'll even say that, I'm trying to remember there was a story that DC Warner Brothers, he was going to do a DC comics movie based on World War II. There was a story about that a couple of years ago that that was going to happen. I know that. So I know he's been offered it at least. I don't, right. I don't think he's ever moved on it though. Well, yeah, well, I mean, why would you after you make uh, Saving Private Ryan or, you know, some, uh, why, why, why would you, I don't know, you know, Spielberg's take on Captain America, right? I mean, that would be mm-hmm. interesting. Um, you man, know, but Joe Johnston directed Joe that. Joe Johnston, and, man, much, and, much love and for Joe Johnston. He's, a, he's somebody who came out of that Spielberg camp. You know, they worked yeah. together a lot in the 80s. So, you know, Zemeckis, Robert Zemeckis, same yeah. kind of person, right? They, you know, there's, there's, there's sort of a family tree, right, of of mm-hmm. of people who came out of Amblin or Universal or that time period in the '80s where they were all either working as a writer, producer, or more on something that that Spielberg's uh, folks were putting together. So, you know, his influence is is um, you know is is pretty broad. I mean, I, I think you know he he definitely for our generation. I think he's probably the first director that would roll off someone's mouth, right. From the, from our generation, it was, who's your, you know, what, who's a famous film director? You know, they would say Steven Spielberg. That's one of the first things that would pop out of people's mouths. Um, but I don't know if that's true for say a 17, 16, 18 year old today. I, I don't know if they're going to say Steven Spielberg right off the bat. No, uh, it'd be Christopher no. Nolan. Now, you know, that would be, the it would be Christopher Nolan call. now, yeah. or maybe the Russo brothers, you know, they yeah. might, that, 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 yeah. that might be possible. Um, so so let's jump into the fablements. Like what what's this movie about? What's what, what's 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 the deal with this film, Dr. J? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let let me explain it all to you. No. Um Spielberg's <laughs> writing here as well with uh Tony Kushner, um who's, you know, quite respected uh in the field, but it's really kind of a a uh, story that was born during COVID and uh, Spielberg and Kushner were talking about, um, you know, Spielberg's life and how he kind of came to film and how he discovered film and what his family life was like. And Kushner encouraged him and said, this is, you know, this is a movie you need, you need to make this movie. Uh, and um, I, I think it was probably it took a while for, for Steven Spielberg to get to a point where he could, feel comfortable sharing all of this stuff, you know, um, you know, and both his parents are, are deceased now. So, man, that, you know, that makes it, <laughs> that makes it probably a little easier uh, to address some of the stuff, but yeah, uh, Jeff, it's, it's a, it's a, 
it's a biographical film. And I think Stephen with this film lets us in. Um, he shows us uh, kind of the psychology of his family growing up um, through a series of stories that really take place between 1952 and 1968, um, about a 16-year period in his life. Um, and uh, it, it it really just gives us a look at, at the inner dynamics of his family growing up in a uh, in a Jewish family, um, dealing with uh, anti-Semitism and bullying, as well as dealing, and here's the big thing, dealing with the dissolution of his parents' marriage, right? Um, just kind of watching it fall apart and eventually kind of quite literally capturing it in on film and f- discovering the affair through editing uh and um you know that his mom was 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 having an affair with this friend of the family that was actually his father's best friend uh and um so we see how he expresses or was able to express his um his anger his resentment his um hopes dreams desires he channeled all of that into his into his stories into his filmmaking and so i think um and you see a lot of sort of bts right of of how he made his little 16 and 35 millimeter uh films you know growing up and and i think those are probably the strongest pieces of the movie because it allows us a little window into his head and how he really sort of got um just fell in love with cinema right um you know his his mother in the film says uh you know movies are like dreams that you don't ever forget you know and and that's just beautiful you know i mean i I, so so i hadn't come across a film that had expressed the passionate desires and the imaginative like excitement that comes from making a movie and telling a story in that way especially when you're a kid um and then at the same time I haven't seen a movie, Jeff, that has expressed how we, those of us especially who direct and do this kind of stuff, how we see the world, like how we start to envision, like how, you know, this scene that's happening in real life, like how would I shoot this in a movie and how would, you know, how would I see it? You know, the, the um, there are attempts made in this movie to, to, to show audiences how that translates, right, for artistic and creative people and that's just really unique and smart and brilliant and i was there for it um and i was taken with the story and i think the fact that he let us in to showing us that and it's not it's you know it's not some huge dramatic trauma it's a divorce right and he was dealing with anti-semitism those are serious things but you know comparatively if we were going to look you know well this person was, you know, their parents like drugged and abused them or what, you know, I mean, it was way more traumatic than what's, I mean, you, you know, don't try to put it on a trauma scale. Just try to consider, well, this is one individual telling their lived experience. It's right. sort of dramatic. You got to, you got to, you got to, um, Microsize it. Yes. 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 Absolutely. And so from, you know, from this, um, sort of exploration, I think he gave us codes and he gave us clues because now you're able to look at his work from the eighties because I've, I've been writing and talking about this for almost 20 years now that Spielberg's films are always about domesticity and divorce. They're always about that subtext. There is something in there that is dealing with family conflict, family divorce relations that's that's at the core what's going on in in most all of his movies and um and so fablemans allows us to sort of see oh wow so this is where kind of all of that kind of psychological fodder came from and it helped me understand his work in an even more beautiful way in 2023 than i than i understood in in 1983, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, um, I'm a different person. He's a different person. Right. But it, but it helped me sort of understand his work differently and also why it spoke to me so greatly as a, you know, as a eight, 10 year old kid, right. Like those stories, uh, I had the same reaction to his movies that he does or did in his 
life when he was taken to the movies for the first time and saw Cecil B. DeMille's greatest show on earth. Right. And the big train crash and the, you know, I mean, it just all starts to kind of piece together. If you know his work and you followed him for a number of years. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, I, I was swept up by it um, and I was totally here for it, but I approach Spielberg differently. You know, I mean, I have a different kind of, um, you know, so people who didn't like it, they might have thought, well, it doesn't go deep enough or it doesn't spend enough time, uh, you know, talk as a two and a half hour movie. But I mean, it, do- it doesn't spend enough time uh, on the BTS filmmaking stuff. You know, that was more interesting and more fun, you know, or it doesn't there's not enough trauma or depth on the parents side so it's really kind of doesn't work you know i mean i've read that as well but i i I just respectfully disagree i was here for it it fed me everything that i wanted and didn't know that i needed um and i think that it's a wonderful film and it's beautiful janus kaminsky's cinematography is fantastic john williams usual yeah of course uh john williams does a great score of course uh, and I think the only thing that I that I would probably take away as legitimate critical fodder from this is this issue that you and I keep coming back to about directors from this era, this push to self-mythologize, right? Like this need that they have to establish themselves and their story in their way, like self-mythologizing their place in 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 cinema history. And certainly the Fablemans does that. Right. But, um, uh, but yeah, that's a larger sort of macro issue that we can continue to look at from directors of that era in the seventies who are spending time the last (laughs) decade, really focusing on how they're going to be remembered. Um, And that's, that's interesting to me um, because Things always change after people pass, right? Uh, you know, you you always have a book that's the untold truth of Steven Spielberg, right? <laughs> it's just probably going to come out, you know, later well, the, on down the, the line. But the question, the, the question that circles Spielberg, you know, especially in the last ten years, is is that you know what's what's left in the tank, and you know, uh, uh, it 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 seems to be either you know, fair to maudlin or uh, as I've read with the Fablemans or even as my wife had communicated to me about the film, you know, over sentimentality, right? That, that it's it's too sappy, you know, that it's, it, it's too much on its sleeve. I mean, is, is that the case with this film? Like, well, I don't think any just... more so than any of his other work. I mean, I, I think that's a fair... Um... I think it's something fair to point out in the movie, but I think if you're going to go there, you got to point to all of his other films because he doesn't do anything differently uh, in terms of that kind of um, contained sentimentality, right? Um, well, are we are we are we too old for fairy tales? The, that's anymore? the other thing. Uh, yeah. You know, we we you know, I I I did read a New York Times review that was sort of lukewarm on Fablemans, and they said, you know, this this critic was talking about how. We've been there, done that with Stevie and his other films, mm-hmm. uh, and he's done it better in other films and, the, and this kind of stuff. But then there was this question of like, have we outgrown Spielberg's sentimentality? Are we over it? You know, are we, you know, it's yeah, mundane at this point, right? Yeah. Um, and that, that's a fair point. For me, I can tell you no, you know, every, whenever you see a film, uh, it's always contextually bound, right? You and I know this, right? So yes. like the time in your life, the people you're with, even the theater that you see it at, like sometimes you remember all of those characteristics that weigh in on how you either love or hate a film. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for me, this one hit me at the right time, the right place, the right, um, I was in the right psychological place to really kind of dig in to what was going on. And so it it, it spoke to me. Um you know, 10 years from now, I may be like, Fableman's was great at that point in my life. It doesn't read the same way now. I, you know, I, I don't know. Things do change, but is um, it, yeah, but it spoke is, to is, me. Is it, is it possible that this film is a commentary on getting old and on his mortality and Etc. Etc. And I say that because it reminds me. I was watching uh, a music documentary over the break on uh, the group King Crimson. It's called "In the Court of the Crimson King." King Crimson at fifty, 
<clears throat> and it follows them on their 50th anniversary tour uh, a few years ago. And it's this beautiful, it turns out to be this really wonderful meditation on these artists getting older, many of the band members dying, mm. you know, and dealing with how do you, how do you soldier on, right? How, how do you carry on? What, 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 what stories are left to tell, especially with music, you know, is it, you know, in, in the case of King Crimson, you know, going out and still performing, you know, and, and creating the space for this artistic thing to happen, you know, mm-hmm. again and again and again and again, right? So if you use that and you apply it to film in this case, you know, how many more times can Spielberg put it up there? You know, can he, can he continue to, if, if, if we're too old for his fairy tales, then what, what stories are left for him? You know, and if the Fablemans represent, and this is what it sounds like, again, based on what you're telling me, what, mm-hmm. what I've heard from other people and what I'm reading is that, you know, this is, this is into the road stuff. You know, this is, I don't have a lot more to say. Yeah, no, I mean, it could be, um, it could be at least, at least from a, um, you know, from a personal standpoint, from an investment standpoint, you know, how much of yourself can you expose and put out there? Um, yeah, I, I didn't really get the sense that it was, that it was purposefully that, but I think interestingly enough, it could culturally become that for sure. Um, you know, that, that the film could become kind of a signifier. We may look back on it in 10 or 20 years and go, that was the point where, you know, where he, you know, he dipped or he let go or he, re, you know, he released, uh, released the Kraken and, and went into retirement. You know, I, I don't, you know, Tarantino says he's about to retire. You know, I, oh, I, I, just, was, I, I, I don't buy it. You know, I just don't buy it. Um, the so great, the I, great media hype, man. So uh, is it his last know. film? No, but no, no, is no, no, it, no, no. That's not it, what I'm saying. Is I, it I, his I, film that sort of, sort of bookends? A, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's probably fair, and it'd be interesting to watch to see if that's, if that's indeed how it unfolds. Because um, he passed, he passed on Indiana Jones to make Fablemans. Right. And I'm I'm right. kind of glad that he did that. Um, I think Indiana Jones, if you're going to keep making those movies, you need fresh voices in the room. Um, and so I, I, I was glad that he, you know, um, that he stepped off that uh, stepped off that ride. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, Jeff, come on, you got to. I, I, I know I may have mentioned this to you, but there's no spoilers here anymore. It's all it's all sort of out in the open, but. I just can't wait for you to see, you know, that the the last scene of the movie mm-hmm. is Stevie in Hollywood and he's sort of got his little first kind of TV gig, right? He's about to start working on Hogan's Heroes. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, if you're if you're like me and you were enjoying the film and in this way, I was like, oh great. This is the beginning of a, you know, this is a whole other, you know, 10, 20 years that he could document, you know, like I want to mm-hmm. see that movie, right? Like what was 20 year old Steven Spielberg like in Hollywood in the seventies. And of course, you know, you can look at Peter Biskin's book, uh, easy riders, raging oh, yeah. bulls. And there's a lot in there about Steven Spielberg through the seventies and, 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 and the eighties. But um, the end, he gets to meet John Ford, the great legendary John Ford and David Lynch comes in and plays John Ford at the end and just freaking smashes that scene. I mean, it is just so much. They give him the eye patch and everything. They do, and the cigar, and 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 uh, and ju- and just everything. And it's great, Jeff, because he says he's 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 quizzing Stevie, and he's like, "So you want to make pictures, huh? Okay, uh, uh, go look at that painting on the wall, right?" And he's trying to get Steven to tell him about the painting, and Steven's like, "Oh, well, in this painting, there's like you know, there's these cowboys and there's these horses." He's like, "No, where's the horizon?" Oh, it's at the top. Great. Go over here. Look at this one. He starts describing it. He's like, no, where's the horizon? It's at the bottom. And he goes, okay, remember this. When the horizon's at the top, it's good. When the horizon's at the bottom, it's good. When the horizon's in the middle, it's shit. (laughs) And that's the advice that he gives him. And then you go, wow, that's just so simple. But yet, yeah. That's kind of one of those compositional art things that uh, you just, you know, because Spielberg just didn't, had never really thought about art in that way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he just, he didn't go to college. He didn't do that stuff. So, 
um it was interesting um and and yeah you knowing how much you love lynch as well just it's just he just it's just a perfect moment it's one of those great moments in cinema history and he just smashes that you know it just smashes well, that. So. I, I definitely look forward to it and uh, everyone go watch stagecoach um you know you <laughs> want to see a great one of the great american movies by john ford man watch stagecoach uh so we're lonely phds I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes, he's Dr. Joseph Watson. We just got done talking about Meet the Fablemans, uh, Steven Spielberg's, are we clearly saying autobiographical or? or... Oh yeah, I think so. That's fair, yeah, okay. Has he, fair. has he cop, he's cop to that? Has he? Has he what? Has he cop to it? Like said, absolutely. Oh yeah, is... yeah, 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 yeah. He's admitted oh, yeah. that it's, that, yeah, that it's, that it's a representation of him, right? So okay. the Fablemans are really the Spielbergs, right? I mean, that's okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Just wanted to make sure mm-hmm. uh, before we get before we get taken down on a Reddit channel. Um, <laughs> These dudes don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> educated my ass. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, this week I watched a really interesting film uh from a very interesting filmmaker uh bardo false chronicle of a handful of truths uh this is a netflix film from 2022 alejandro and aruda uh people might know him from the revenant birdman uh 21 grams um i'm sure i'm missing a film or two in here also uh this film is basically the story of a journalist uh, who is getting ready to accept an award. Uh, we come to find out though, that he has a, uh, uh, I, I believe a heart attack. Uh, this comes through the puzzle of the film and that he's in a coma and that all the scenes that we see in the film are basically him reviewing uh, the last few years of his life. Like mm. the, these are scenes that are happening and in Aruda playing with time in this film is just, what makes just one of those things that I love the most about playing with the medium, you know, is that this film just allows you to really mess with people (laughs) in the best way I can describe this film for people is this sort of this postmodern maximalism, right? This, this, this indulgence, you know, and Mm -hmm. if you've seen Birdman or the Revenant, this shouldn't Mm. come as a shock, right? You know, it's, it's, you know, really extended, you know, uh, 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 solo takes, uh, which he's really hitched his wagon to. And Mm -hmm. at this point, he's now perfected it. Honestly, there's just nobody better doing it. Uh, If he's doing cheats on it, I certainly can't tell uh, anymore. I could, I could pick him up in Birdman uh, when he would turn corners, but here I can't tell. I, I, I don't know if that's where digital photography has taken us necessarily, or that he has rehearsed it to such a fine point that, you know, he can really do these seven, eight, nine minute, you know, extended shots. I mean, they're just incredible. Um, and, and just beautiful, beautiful cinematography. Um, what I really want to talk about with this film, though, is that I want to talk about the Netflix hangover that seems to be occurring now. Because this, much like the Fablemans, this came out very late in the year in 2022. It got buried. You know, I, I just reminded myself in the last week or two was it I happened to be flipping through my list, and there it was. I went, oh, holy shit, that's right, the Inuatu film. You know, mm. and I, I said, holy moly, you know, it's it's right there with all quiet on the Western Front. It's just sitting there in my list. You know, mm-hmm. uh, which, by the way, I love the original film. I've taught that book in English classes in high school. So it's mm-hmm. just like I'm kind of. I'm kind of hesitant to watch that one, but, you know, I'm going to get there. Uh, but but I want to talk about this film seems to me to signal the end of. Netflix's prestige spending and catering to filmmakers like this 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 is one of the big it wasn't the irishman trust me like that's Mm. that it's it's definitely this film because this film has all the hallmarks of that people won't touch this film with a 50-foot pole i mean this (laughs) film opens this film opens with a birth scene where they take the they have the baby 
And then the doctor's like leaning over, like it's listening to the baby. And it turns around and goes, the baby wants to go back in. It says it's too fucked up for the world. The world's too <laughs> fucked up. And they put wow. the baby back in. Oh like, my uh, gosh. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, you know what you're in for like right away. Right. Like here we, here we go. We're going with super uh, uh, magical realism. Yeah. You know, all yeah. this stuff, like, here we go. You know, she's dragging the umbilical cord, like down the hallway. <laughs> oh my God. And, and this is not a Cronenberg film, folks. This, this is, is not, not a Cronenberg, Cronenberg film. film. Yeah, it's just like, and it's very humorous though. You know I mean? It's just, yeah. it's very funny, you know, this, but um, I want to ask you, you know, this, the, the class of, of Mexican directors, right. Inaratu and uh, Del Toro and, um, Oh, who's this? Uh, Curon. Curon. You know, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're in a class by themselves now. You know, this, this, and we don't talk about them enough. And we don't really think about how they've taken sort of this idea of magical realism, contextualize it into sort of this postmodern maximalism. That's the phrase I'm going to go with, mm-hmm. you know, and have created basically new cinema language mm-hmm. you know uh what's what's your feelings on that I, I, no i agree um yeah. i i mean i think uh pan's labyrinth right uh was kind of a uh the first one that i remember that uh, that was s- sort of exploring those things to extreme degrees um and then it just sort of ing- uh, you know grew from there uh i i don't know where you put um you know where would you class i mean where would you classify Roma in the context of what you're talking about? Because I don't oh, think... I think it's epic. Like, it, it, okay, when, yeah, when, yeah. I, when I talk about postmodern maximalism, I mean, this is this is his version of the old epic. Mm. You know, uh, it, it's mm. it's it's black and white by by his choice by but, choice, right? You know, but it's epic in the sense of the old school epics you know, of, of the masterful, the monster story, you know, of, of changing geopolitical climate, you know, I mean, this is, and I mean, that when I see that in the classics, I'm, I'm talking Ben-Hur type stuff, you know, oh. I mean, just that big, you know, all-encompassing emotional, we're going to go on this big roller coaster, right? But what makes it this postmodernist thing is that it is commenting on geopolitical things, that it is commenting on, you know, relations. It's telling us a story that we don't know about, about revolution. Like we don't know, there are gaps here in knowledge, right? Inaratu in Bardo is also doing the same thing. Like, I don't know that much about Mexican history. I Mm. I don't know that much about our current political climate with them. And and this is him giving a commentary on it, you know, and, 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 he, but he, you know, he wraps it in such a way that it's, it never seems to, it, it doesn't detract from it creates instead a bigger sense of the world he's creating mm. that in that, in that way that good postmodernists do, mm-hmm. you know, it's postmodernists are trying to give you everything. Like they are creating, they're throwing the sink at you. Like mm-hmm. this, this is just like, there's, you know, things you know narrative strains will just fall apart um you know things that because it doesn't matter like we're, we're trying to create a gestalt right like we're trying to create a whole universal sense and, and i think of postmodern literature which again is in my wheelhouse and one of my backgrounds is just like you know the goal of the postmodern author whether you're thomas pynchon or don delillo or david foster wallace or any of these people william gaddis is another one um it's about it's about the big view, mm-hmm. right? And being able to, in that Foucauldian way, go backwards and dig, right? Mm-hmm. Go deeper, dig mm-hmm. deeper. Who says you shouldn't examine this just a little bit more, right? Who's who's making these rules? It's about breaking rules. And Bardo breaks the rules. Inaratu continues to break the rules. Curran breaks the rules. Del Toro, as much as he wants to be a populist filmmaker. He continues to break the rules, you know, and dealt, and again, not my favorite of the group, but I give him credit, you know, yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it's, it's, they certainly are the, are the strangest triumvirate, 
of, of filmmakers. But yet when I was thinking about them, all three of them, after I got done watching the film and I was doing my notes, you know, I was just like, it begins to make sense, you know, that they are creating this worldview of showing us U.S. and Mexican relations, especially, you know, and contextualizing it. I mean, they, you mentioned Pan's Labyrinth, you know, what gets lost in Pan's Labyrinth is the larger war, right, mm-hmm. element of it in, in, mm-hmm. in that story being told. Mm-hmm. That's a more attractive story to me than mm-hmm. anything else in pants. Hmm. You know, uh, go ahead. <clears throat> no, I was just, I, I, I mean, no. so now that it's contextualized in that way, mm-hmm. uh, what I'm hearing is that, uh, I mean, there are American film directors who've done this, right. Who've set a story um maybe it's not postmodern in style but they've set a story against the backwash of a you know um of a political event or the changing of a political tide or the, well that's you know, all your oliver stones your, that's basically uh, oliver stone right dennis, like one well dennis villanueve did it with and, sicario right you know, yeah, yeah yeah so although he's um, canadian is he canadian he's canadian. i think so canadian. yeah um apologies if he's not but i think that's yes. correct um i I, I I mean I agree with you. I um I know very little about Mexican history, particularly the the stuff that I do know is probably connected to U.S. Mexico relations because we would have learned that in American history, right? About you know uh, land grabs and all that kind of stuff. I mean I don't have anything specific. Which comes up in this film? Does it really? Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean early on, yeah. Uh, I think, um, I mean, it's, I mean, now I think that the importance of having those stories told, particularly with the framework that these um, directors, um, you know, place upon this kind of, especially specifically this one with Bardo is what it sounds like um, that you're, you're almost kind of jumping around a lot, right? It's not linear, right? It's not telling it in a chronological way. Right. So you're, so then that asks the audience already, right. To do work, uh, and to, and to make the, the connections in the pieces. And if you already don't know the history, I could see where a lot of audiences get turned off by that, right? Well, if you're not going to give me some context, I'm not going to do the work, you know, that sort of lazy um, audience response. They're going to passively respond to it. Does right. this this film challenge you, though, it sounds like, to well, it, it actually look up stuff and to look into the, you know. Well, you definitely history, make a you know? note about it because, again, that, you know, the film is still at its courts about this guy, you know, and it's his life. And maybe it's the end of his life. It's ambiguous at the end, whether mm. he he actually comes out of the coma or not. Um, because we open in the coma and we don't even know that we're in a coma, right? <laughs> it's just right, like, right. so, you know, this is, this is also, he's telling a very beautiful story about this life and someone struggling with midlife and trying to be a good father. Uh, they've lost a baby, you know, um, that's the metaphor about putting the baby back in You know, they, they've, they lost a, a, a child at, at birth, you know, and he has two grown children, but, you know, the pain of that carries over and that comes into conversation you know he's also a very successful journalist and they live in america and have for 15 years but yet they find themselves going back to mexico you know um to visit or to you know uh in the case of this it's kind of wrapped up that they're going to spread the ashes of the child and also visit his family. And he's going to be acknowledged about the award that he's going to get. So they have to go back to Mexico for this. So that's what I'm saying. Like, this is, this is what postmodernism does. It, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's getting lots to work with, you know, but the, the basic of the story is like, it's this guy's life. He had a traumatic event. Here's what's, what's going on. Right. We're going to compartmentalize it in that way. And, and that's, it's not fair of me necessarily to do that, but if I'm trying to get someone to watch this, that's how I'm pitching it, right? Like I'm going, well, it's just a story about this guy's, you know, this guy's life. <laughs> right. Which, you know, uh, middle-aged guy. Yeah. You know, just, you know, you try to, you try to find that, that connection uh, in it. And I, honestly, I went into Bardo, I had no idea what it was about. Like I, I went into it completely blind. I'd seen the trailer maybe once, I think on Netflix, uh, after I'd added it to my list, which by the way, I'm always in the habit of doing. 
I encourage people to do this. Um, you know, go blind to the movies, just pick a movie. It, it, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, I mean, you might get pissed off. You may, maybe you don't, you know, but it's better than watching, you know, Cake Boss uh, reruns for the, for the 50th time. You know, there's, there's always something, you know, especially on streamers. You can just, you know, you can just choose it. But, but I want to circle back to talking about, uh, and I'll do this quickly. Um, you know, Netflix had become the home of the filmmaker. They, they, were, they were staking their claim, right? Roma really was a paradigm changer for them, you know, when it won. Um, and suddenly it was just like, oh, well, you know, Scorsese is going to make a film there. Uh, uh, Soderbergh is going to make a film there. You know, they're, they're, all these people are going to start making films at Netflix, you know, with, with probably no guarantee of a theatrical you know, release. And that was the talk in the water for, for a while now. And now we're seeing it go away, right? We're seeing it go away again. So going back to our earlier conversation about saving the movies and whatnot, it's just like film, film distribution right now is in a very strange space. Yeah. And, you know, who knows Spielberg might do a Netflix film. I, I don't, I don't know at this point, you know, but I know that Netflix has done spending, you know, $300 million on the Irishman. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, so that, that kind of, um, I guess you could say that it's come full circle. Is that fair, Jeff? That like the, I, just, I just so. as the studios figured out, in the 80s right uh right. spent 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 <laughs> go back and listen to that episode about heaven's gate that we did right um yes. where where that era you know kind of it, the jig was up right and so maybe netflix has kind of hit that that part as well you know where it's like we just can't give that much money and creative control you know uh to to us to a single director like that um well i i know that no studio would have put this film up there's just no way no a24 no number one a24 couldn't have afforded the film uh in its current iteration i this is this is i couldn't find a figure on this film i'm gonna say this film was somewhere between 60 and 80 million dollars really yeah this was i wonder i wonder how much of that is is you know and i and i i i just haven't done enough research or looked into how those three directors work together mm-hmm. i know that um all of them probably have their own production companies um and so i'd be curious to see if they you know kind of helped each other out um budgetarily there um mm-hmm. uh, that would be interesting to see because yeah this kind of epic grand narrative that you're talking about which is really just a slice of life kind of film but but it's it, very it's- terrence malick it's wow it's, wow yeah. yeah well i mean i'm i'm uh i mean i'm happy that it's getting made but i guess I, I i guess what makes it sad is that um you know this this meditation that maybe this kind of storytelling is going to die out for a while or it's not going to be as viable um mm-hmm. you know because yeah it definitely was probably something that executives looked at early on and said uh-oh. really cool <laughs> not going to the theaters all right like yeah. you know go do your thing right but we're not we're you know this is not going to get a theatrical release you're um, going to put the baby where <laughs> <laughs> can we change the baby scene at the beginning uh yes. um, well just it makes me think about when they got uh Gino to do bitbots um oh yeah which, yeah you know i loved very expensive movie uh that you know if you love Gino films you loved it. And I loved it. And I was just like, everybody else has got to hate this film. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like Bardo is from the very beginning, just someone who wants to go back. Yeah. Right. Like someone who just wants to return to the womb and to the, you know, I mean, um, uh, and, and, uh, and just investigate a this life worth, worth a life worth lived right and i mean i love that slide that the baby said that this world is too fucked up <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a that's a pretty stark the baby's, uh, been, the baby's been alive for literally 60 seconds and it's just like yeah the world's too fucked already up. done right yeah <laughs> um well i mean i yeah i i it's it's um it's that it sounds really interesting 
I, I, um, I got, I, I, I've got to, you, you texted me this. I'd never heard of the title, knew the, knew the director, but I'd never heard mm-hmm. of the title and, and looked it up real fast. It was like two hours and 40 minutes. <laughs> oh yeah. She told people that. That's, yes, I don't think is, I'm going to be able to see that before we, uh, well, no, I mean, but that's, that's, but, again, that's, but that's why I go back to, to Epic, right? Like these are, yeah. these are Epic films. Like they're, they're big throwbacks, you know, it, it's, Longer doesn't mean better. And, and let me be very clear about this. There is still problem, you know, there, there are narrative problems with the film because again, when you play with time in this way and you play with the audience, you're asking them to do a lot of work. Um, and sometimes that can be a bit much, um, you know, and-, and uh, Even for us. <laughs> even for us. Well, again, you know, it, again, we, the, even the way that you and I process film, you know, right. we process it pretty quickly, you know, as, as we're watching it, you know, I, I know about rarely 15, 20 minutes into a film. I know if I'm pretty locked in or not, mm-hmm. you know, by the end of act one is usually what I say. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I, I knew I was locked in here because again, he's, what do great filmmakers do? They throw you a hook, right. And reel you in and he sure did. You know, because you're like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like it was it was a really, really, um, uh, really positive experience for you, and that you actually it was a positive. A, experience. You learned a little bit about history too, which is even you know, uh, you know, greater, you, learn a little, you learn a little bit about history. You you think about your own mortality. You think about your own at the age I'm at. You know, I'm a middle aged man, um, and you, you think about the things that he's thinking about. Uh, you know, have I been a good dad? You know, mm-hmm. am I a good husband? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, am I, what's my identity? You know, this is, there's questions of identity here too. Um, and, and it's just, this film is, is certainly complicated, but I think it's worth, I personally think in my IMO, um, it, it's worth, it's worth the sit. As, as I would say, I think, I think this film is worth the sit. It's, it's, it's worth getting through. Is, does the film have, does it take a stance on American U S Mexico relations? Does it take kind of an anti-American stance? Does it kind of at times end up in the middle of the, okay. So it does have sort of a, sort of an ideology like attached to it. It's it, sort of it trying presents, to it presents both sides of the argument. Okay. Sure. But but you know some films can do that and then just walk away right with just the problems accurately represented, but doesn't necessarily take a stance on that issue, right? Um, I think it's more a stance of a que- when I say a question of identity. There's a scene in the airport very late in the film where they've come back from Mexico and they're going through customs, and the customs agent takes his pet the dad's passport the dad's like hey i'm you know class something class one or something like that and he's like yeah well you know this isn't your country and he, he hands it he's just like no it is my country i've lived here for 15 years i pay taxes he's just like it's not your country sir and he gets belligerent you know and he just he's just like he goes to this to the head of security he's just like i want this guy to apologize to me he's just like i, I this is good can you say this isn't my country you know this, so that's what i'm saying like that yeah we get yeah we get many sides of different uh-huh. things in, this, in yeah. this film, and it's very interesting. Um, as far as a clear stance, though, I I can't say yeah one way or the other. This is probably kind of a mix, and then there's some explicit moments like that where mm-hmm. where it kind of pops out. Um, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I I would I, I sometimes get when I when I find movies that sort of try mm-hmm. to stay that apolitical sort of line. And, you know, eventually, you know, I get frustrated if a movie doesn't take a stance, you know, even if I disagree with how a movie interprets something, that's fine. I just sometimes want them to sort of put their perspective on it, you know, like whether it's through subtext or whether it's explicit is the director's choice. But I just I want, you know, some sort of stance on it. You know, you can't just raise the issues and then walk away from it. You know, you got to. You gotta, you gotta yeah, no, he definitely somewhere. he's he's dealing with it throughout the film. Good. Like it's it's coming up again and again. Um, 
you can get in touch with us many different ways. You can email us, lonelyphds at gmail.com, uh, or you can head over to our Discord. I think we still have that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's in our show notes. You can click on the link. It'll take you over there. That's where we chat about film uh, with, uh, with you and uh, post stuff about the show, which we're always uh, very, very excited about. And of course, we would love it if you would please subscribe and rate the show. You can do that through Apple Podcast, Podbean, Google, or wherever you get your downloaded uh, podcast excitement. Did I mention this is the start of season two? I don't. I don't think you, I did. You did not. But I did not. This is the start of season two, everybody. We're, yeah, we're we're really glad to be back. So until next time, I'm uh, Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. I'm Dr. Joseph Watson. <laughs> See you then.